It is good to see you this evening. Are you doing okay? Good, good. If you were to turn on the news tonight, whatever your flavor is, if it's CNN, if it's Fox, if it's local, you would hear certain things. You'd hear about the weather. I can sum up the weather report, hot. It'll be cool in October, late, or maybe November, right? That's pretty good weather report. You might hear more about Hillary not getting indicted. You might hear more about the horrible shooting in Baton Rouge uh, last night, if you hadn't heard about that. But what we're going to look at tonight in Proverbs 14, by the way, our memory verse, you're not going to hear on the news tonight. You're not going to hear it on the news tomorrow, but it's absolute truth. And that's this first thought, godliness is what makes a nation great. Godliness is what makes a nation great. I don't care if you love CNN, Fox, or whatever it is, you are not going to hear it on those stations. In ver- on verse 34, if you have your Bibles, godliness, I'm using the New Living Translation tonight, godliness makes a nation great, but sin is a disgrace to any people. The word godliness, if you're taking notes, is a great word. It means what's right. It means righteous. It means rectitude. It's a rightness of principle and conduct, of morals and ethics and virtue. It's what's just. It's what's fair. It's being fair and right with God and fair and right with other people. I want to repeat that because this word is so rich. When it says godliness makes a nation great, righteousness People who are faithful and moral and just and right with God and right one an- with one another, that's what makes a nation great. Why is this so? I want to give you three reasons. Number one, this is what honors God. This is what honors God. What, what honors God? Righteousness honors God. In verse 34, godliness makes a nation great. Sin is a disgrace to any people. The word disgrace there means a reproach. It means what's wicked. And by the way, I want to stop and say this. This passage tonight, and on a great nation, it, it was written thousands of years before America was a country, but this is for America. This is for Israel. This is for China. This is for Iraq. This is for any country. It's for us. He says, sin is a disgrace to any people. There was a little boy years ago who had gone with his family on the 4th of July to a, a fireworks celebration. It was out in the country. It was a big field. It was very dark. Wasn't a lot of lights. Beautiful fireworks being shot up in there. The little boy was young. He had never seen anything like that. And on the way home, he was very quiet. His daddy asked him, son, what's wrong? He goes, I bet God's mad. Why is God mad? He said, they were shooting at God. (laughs) You know what? The good news, God wasn't mad because they weren't shooting at God. But I want to tell you, honestly, God's frustrated with America right now. God's, God's irritated with America. Why is God irritated with America? Because we're letting sin, we're celebrating sin as a country. And certainly this doesn't just apply to America. It applies to any country where godliness, not godly, not being godly, but godlessness, when it rains, it is a disgrace. Listen, righteousness 
honors God. And when a country is righteous, it honors God. God's going to exalt that nation is what the Bible says. Here's the second thing. Godliness is best for everyone. Why does God honor this? Why is God going to exalt and lift up a country that is godly? Because godliness is what's best for everyone. Folks, when we, when we talk about Christianity, we're not just talking about a religion. We're talking about Jesus Christ coming in to live in your life, and it changes everything for the better. Godliness makes things better for you and me. Where Clayton and Mary and I went to college, there was a professor in the business school, and he said this several times. I had people tell me this. He would say, socialism is the best system there is. Socialism is fair. Socialism is good to everyone. It just doesn't work. You know, that's why that guy, well, I'll just be quiet. But (laughs) folks, let, let me tell you the Greek word for that is idiotacy because something is not great if it doesn't work. Man, that's a beautiful car. It just doesn't work. That's not a great car. It may be pretty. It's not great. Well, that's a pretty woman. She's just mean. That won't be a good woman for me. Amen? Right? Well, I got a woman. I don't need another one. But anyway, (laughs) godliness, listen, godliness, when godliness comes to a nation, it brings joy. It brings fulfillment. Listen, John 10, 10, if you're taking notes, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is about killing, stealing, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. That's not just eternal life after you die. Oh, it's going to be miserable here, but someday I'm going to die. It's going to be great. It's going to be great there, but God gives us life here. God gives us life here. A famous Russian novelist said after the USSR, the the Communist Soviet Union, when it collapsed, here's what he said. We are an experiment in godlessness. We didn't just forget God. We removed God. And for decades, we were a miserable, broken people where we murdered 60 million of our own. That's what happens when God is removed. See, God doesn't... God doesn't just make us more religious. God makes things better. Why is God going to lift up a godly nation? Godliness is what's best for everybody. And let me give you this last thing. This is what God blesses. Listen, when it honors God and it's good for people, look in verse 34. Godliness makes a nation great. The word great there means it, it exalts it. It lifts it up. Folks, this is so important. God God doesn't bless randomly. God, listen, here's a mistake we make as individuals in a church. We make decisions and we say, God, please bless this. Well, God, bless my effort. Well, God, here's what I'm going to do. I want your hand and your blessings on me. God, I went to church twice last year. Your favor should be upon me. That's not how it works, folks. God blesses those who get under his leadership. God blesses those who do things his way. God blesses and honors the godly. God's power, God's glory isn't for rent. It's not something we just use whenever we want to use it. We find God's power and glory and peace and presence when we get our lives under God. Folks, I know there's people who might disagree with this, but America's been a great country. It really has. 
And, and I want to share with you something that blew me away that I read this week. This is in a book titled Civilization, the West and the Rest. The author's last name was Ferguson. He interviewed a, a member of the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. This was in 2011. This was an arm of the Communist Party in China. I guess it still is. The unnamed official, I thought that was interesting. The unnamed official, for reasons we all understand, praised the role of Christianity in America and the Western world. Here's what he said. One of the things that we were asked to look into as the Chinese Academy of Social Science, what accounted for the success the West and America had? Why have they been so successful? Listen, they weren't looking with a Christian bias at this, okay? We studied everything we could from historical to political to economic and cultural perspective. At first, we thought that America was great because they had bigger guns than we have. (laughs) That wasn't it. Then we thought it was because you have the best political system. Next, we focused on your economic system. Here's what the Chinese Academy of Social Science came back and said. But here's what we discovered. We realized that the heart of your culture is your religion, Christianity. The Christian moral foundation of social and cultural life was what made possible, this talking about originally, the emergence of capitalism and the successful transition to democratic politics. We, the Chinese communists, have no doubt that Christianity was what made America great. Does that not blow you away? (laughs) Folks, let me tell you. If the Chinese communists see it, you and I ought to look at Proverbs 14.34 and accept it. Godliness is what makes a nation great. It absolutely does. The flip side of that, godliness or godlessness is what makes a nation fall. There was an editorial in Life magazine, and the, the editor said this, the greatest threat to America is godlessness. When we lose our grip on Jesus Christ in a godly way, the greatest threat is not nuclear bombs, it's not an enemy without, it's godlessness. When was that written? It's 1949. Wow. Godliness is what makes a nation great. Now, here's the question for the hour. How in the world can we become a godly nation? (laughs) See, it's so easy as a preacher to get up here and beat this right now. But how do we do it? Right? I mean, you can can leave here all fired up, but how do we do this? Let Let me give you a few thoughts on this. It's never going to happen 100%. A nation is never, when you've got millions of people ever, everybody going to be followers of Christ and godly. But how, how can we get the majority of people in this direction? Number one, it starts with you. You may not have wanted to hear that, but it does. Oh, I wish America and our politicians would be who they should be. Be who you should be first. It starts with you and me. Godliness makes a nation great. Abraham Lincoln was, the, the, as far as we know, the first president to, to use the, the phrase uh, under God, one nation under God. But it was, it was President Eisenhower in 1954. I think we have a picture of Ike, don't we, Brian? 
President Eisenhower, who put into the pledge that we are one nation under God. You've heard recently there's a little movement to remove that. I want to tell you, I'm 100% for that being in our pledge. But let me tell you something more important than being in, in the pledge. It's being in your heart. Are you under God? You see, a godly, a godly nation doesn't happen just because a bunch of church people are mad at politicians. It, it's not going to happen because we're upset because people don't believe like we believe. It's going to start when you and I start being the people that God has called us to be. You belong to Christ. You live for Christ. Here's the second thing. It's foundation's prayer. The, the foundation of a godly nation is prayer. Folks, here's some great scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 6. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings, we could say presidents, and all those in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Now look in verse 3. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants who? Everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to us at the right time. What, what a cool thing. Well, here's what God says. Listen, we want our nation to come back to God, to be what it should be. Absolutely. It starts with you being who you should be and me being who I should be. And then we need to pray. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our elections. We need to pray for our politicians. How do you pray for them? Here's how I pray for them. I ask God for them to be saved. And you know what? If I'm wrong and some of them are saved, that's great. I, I can live with that. Uh, if they're saved, some of them need to come back to God. Amen? <laughs> Pray for their salvation. Pray that they'll come back to God. Pray that they'll listen to God. Pray for God's protection. Pray for God to work in, in all levels of our government and in our world. Folks, listen. I, I love what Eugene Peterson, he's the guy who who translated the, the Bible, the message, listen to what he said. Prayer is political action. Pretty good. Prayer is social energy. Prayer is public good. Far more powerful than any patriotic slogan, prayer is the single most important thing we can do for our country. Amen to that. Isn't that great? I, I don't know if, if, if many of you have heard what was called the Great Prayer Revival that happened in 1857 and 1858 in our country. 1857-1858. I'm just going to touch on this. I had to do a long paper in seminary uh, about this years ago, and I, had, I tried to block it from my memory because it was so painful. But they said in 1857 that churches in America, this is funny, 1857, churches were on a decline, Christianity was on a, a downward spiral. But America's moral recovery began when a layman, not a preacher, a layman named Jeremiah Lamphere started a noon prayer meeting for New York City businessmen. The first prayer meeting they had, six people showed up. Listen, you want to empty a room, call for a prayer meeting. <laughs> People will be busy doing a thousand other things. They met on September the 23rd, 1857 in the old Dutch Reformed Church. Six people came. They kept meeting every day from 12 to 1. By spring of 1858, across America, attendance, and just springing up, 10,000 people were meeting in different churches. 
Listen, they didn't have social media or anything. This was all a, a, an act of God. They said that these prayer meetings, there wasn't preaching, there wasn't singing, but people would come in and the Spirit of God was so powerful, they would begin to ask people around them, what must I do to be saved? They said a ship pulled into the harbor of New York City and the presence of God was so powerful that 30 sailors got saved before they ever got off the boat. That's what we need, guys. That's what we need. They estimate in that year and a half period, over a million people in America were saved because of a prayer revival movement. How would that, that'd be about eight to nine million people today to give you an estimate. You know what would shake up our country right now if nine million people got saved in the next year in America? Friend, one thing you can do and I can do if we're serious about our country being who God wants it to be is we can pray for it. Prayer's the foundation. Here's the third thing to make in your country godly. It happens when we get serious about the Great Commission. The Great Commission is the commission of the church. You know, folks, Christianity is a theological and a geographical movement. What I mean by that, it starts with God, but it it, it starts here, and it's always moving out. It's always expanding. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is Luke's version of the Great Commission. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses telling people everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth about Christianity. Now, Jerusalem meant your hometown. This is a pattern for us today. Great Commission starts right here in Ruston, folks. There's enough lost people in Ruston for us to keep the baptistry full for months. Judea was the surrounding area. That's our parish. That's extending out. Samaria was the people they considered the enemies, the people that didn't look like them and act like them. Go and witness and win them to Christ. And to the ends of the earth, that's the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 spells it out very well. Go and make disciples. That literally means as you're going, baptize them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, in verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Here's the three things of the Great Commission. You win people to Christ, you baptize those who get one, and you train those who you've baptized. And, and folks, if we want America to be the nation God has called us to be, this is how we do it. We, we pray, we be who we should be ourselves. And then we realize, folks, your life in our church is not, we're not called to be just a simple Bible study. We're called to be a missionary movement. You're called to be a missionary. In America, 90% of churches have plateaued or they're declining. What that means is 90% of churches are either here or they're going down. Folks, that's trouble. You wonder why America's in a mess. That's a a great look at why America's in a a mess. Folks, if we want our nation to be what God's called it to be, we as a church and Christians must be what God's called us to be. And let me give you one last tie-in thought on this. We've got to seek to influence our society for Christ. The, the, the nation will be what it should be. And this is hard, tough, and this isn't going to happen overnight when we seek to influence society for Christ. I read a British pastor who was talking to Americans. Here's what he said. He goes, if you guys want to see what happens when a society removes Christianity's influence, look at Britain. This is a British pastor talking. 
He goes, I've watched over the decades Christianity lose its influence. Christians lose their influence. The abortions go up. The violence goes up. The dishonesty goes up. The violence, the corruption goes up. He goes, if that's what you want in your country, let Christianity lose its influence. That's not what we want in our country. How do we influence society? Well, what we say, you pray. We do the Great Commission. We're going. We're loving. We're winning. We're growing. You be who you should be. Folks, you and I have to be in the world but not of the world. What does that mean? Now, that always confused me. That, that, that means that you and I don't go live in a monastery or hide in a cave. We're in the world, but we don't do the things, the sinful things that the world does. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, Jesus says, You are a light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. The same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so everyone will praise your heavenly Father. God's called you and me to be a societal changer in our world. Isn't that an awesome thing? Let me tell you some other ways you can help change society. Get out and vote. I have been amazed at at the number of Christians I have seen on social media say they're not going to vote this year for president. And I understand their pain. (laughs) I, I, I sympathize with them a little bit. But not voting, in one sense, is casting a vote. You may ask me, who should I vote for? I would never tell you who to vote for. It's interesting, though, several years ago, Pew Forum, Pew Forum is a group that does religious research. They interviewed professing Christians, and here's what they found. Two-thirds, 66% of people who say they are Christians, their faith influences them zero when they vote. Can you say unbelievable? Folks, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but Jesus ought to tell you. You say, well, I don't know who to vote for in this presidential election. They're both goofy as all get out. Amen. Who do you vote for? Here's what you do. You put your Bible right here. And then you figure out which one of them is closest to, to, to God. You go, well, man, they're both 20 miles away. Okay, I understand. Maybe one of them's 21 and one's 20. Vote for the 20. You hear people say, vote for the lesser of the two evils? Exactly. But you, you, you and I aren't going to influence society by sitting on the sidelines complaining like a bunch of little sissies. We got to get in the game. We may not like who's running, but we need to vote. Here's another thing. We've got to stand up for the truth. Now, if you're taking notes, write this verse down. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, do everything in love. Here's what's hurt Christians in the past. Either we don't stand up for the truth or we're so obnoxious and mean when we do. <laughs> do everything in love. Stand up for truth. Truth is not opinion. Truth is not, well, this is what Baptists believe or this is what Methodists believe. Truth is truth. And when objective truth of the Bible is challenged, stand up for it with a smile on your face. Be loving, but be bold. Stand up for the truth. Martin Luther King Jr., great quote. He says, our lives begin to end when we're silent on things that matter. Nazi Germany, 
The Christians sat on their hands in the pews and sang their hymns when they carried the Jews off because it wasn't affecting them until they started carrying them off. We can't be silent on things that matter. Stand up for the truth if we want to influence society. Some of you ought to run for office. I don't know if I'd vote for you, but you ought to. (laughs) Get involved. Politics is terrible and it's corrupt. Probably. Get in there and make a difference. But you and I need to get off the bench, out of the stands, and into the game if we're going to help our nation be what God's called it to be. Now, folks, I'm not preaching pie in the sky. I believe this can happen. I believe it's very difficult, very hard, but I believe it can happen. Something that you never heard in your history books in, in school, unless you went to a religious school, is what took place in England in the 1700s. I I mean, I had a lot of history growing up. I had history in college. But when I was in graduate school, theological school, I had Christian history. And this, unfortunately, is left out of most textbooks in universities. England in the 1700s was in a moral downward spiral, bad shape. And it looked like France might come in and overrun them, take over the country. But a little preacher who was five foot four and weighed 120 pounds named John Wesley came on the scene. Now, this is funny. John Wesley had been a preacher for years, and then he became a Christian. Isn't that funny? Isn't it great when the preacher gets saved? And John Wesley got saved. <laughs> and John Wesley spent the rest of his life doing everything he could to set England on fire for Jesus Christ. He rode thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of miles on a horse. He preached three and four sermons every day. He wrote books. He discipled people. And I had a really good church historian say that John Wesley may have been the key that helped England from getting overran by France because when revival came, the moral rot fell away and they had a godly foundation that lifted that nation back up again. It's possible. God's just looking for a few heroes. Will you be one? Let's pray. Jesus, we do want our country to be what you want it to be. God, help us to do everything we can to make that so. Help us to respond now as we should. In your name I pray. Amen. You're here this evening and you've never given your life to Christ. Godliness starts at salvation. You come tonight. You come tonight and give your life to Jesus if you never have. Maybe you're here and you're, you're not a member of our church. You'd like to join. We would love for you to. And you can do that after church or you can come when we stand and join our church. Listen, we need you and you need us. Help us as we seek to be who God's called us to be. Christian, where you're standing or at the altar or praying with a minister, will you join me tonight in saying with God, my life and my church is going to do everything we can to help our city and our country be what God's called it to be. Will you do that? Let's stand.